Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the H2O Podcast. I am Timothy Harvey. And I'm Jason Hunt. Welcome. It's true, he is. Yeah. And on tonight's episode... We've had some very successful adaptations recently. It's always a hit and miss when you adapt something from one medium to another. We've talked about that on this show a few times. But we've had some successful ones recently. The Boys is a, in fact, I think it's an improvement over the original source material, um, but it's a very successful adaptation. Of course, um, there's no news on season two, but season one of uh, Sandman, uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, adaptation. Of course, it helps when the creator of the content is actually the person producing the show yeah. and helping with casting and approving the scripts and all that stuff. That's always nice. But that doesn't always still, guarantee success though. That's true. That's true. There's no question, but the success of these, and some of these are, you know, something you look at something like Sandman, the idea that we would ever get the scale of an adaptation we got. Um, very few people thought this would ever happen. And attempts were made to make it into movies at various points, including, um, a script which has been described as one of the worst scripts that has ever been written, uh, which is always something to, you know, aspire to, I guess. <laughs> I mean, at least you're famous, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of fantastic uh, uh, novels and, and comics and uh, that have never been adapted and, quite frankly, could be. And in our, our own little minds think maybe they should be so the opportunities are here the budgets people are throwing money at this sort of thing which is great for for genre fans and because potentially you can have high quality adaptations of some really really great stories yeah and we got into this and i thought we had talked about this before i went back to look at our archive and I know we've talked about adaptations before. We've talked about the challenges of adapting things and the the times when adaptations didn't quite get it right and, and those kind of things. But for some reason, I was thinking that we had talked about this in a previous installment, but I can't find it. So it could very well be that my memory is playing tricks on me because I'm getting old. And, well, I think you we've know. talked around. We talked around this a lot. I mean, certainly, we. I'm, I'm sure we've touched on it in the past. But I'm sure you've, when talking about adaptations, I'm sure that you and I have sat there and went, you know what I want them to do. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Emma points out we've had three adaptations of I Am Legend, and none of them were spot on. Yeah. The one yeah. most. The one that is the most accurate to the novel is stars vincent price and he is wildly miscast in that movie yeah and i vincent price is amazing i think he's he's always fun to watch but he's not the right person to play that character um and the will smith version the first 30 minutes i think are really atmospheric and and you know he gives you that sense of isolation and, mm-hmm. and just being you know um that that empty new york city is just i mean it's it's a very well done sequence and then the cgi monsters show up and it's like eh. yeah i mean and then there's the ending which is just wrong right but yeah i'd love to see a really fantastic you know honestly richard matheson could use some love quite frankly um well, and i got to thinking about this and I've had I've had my thoughts on this before, you know, like you said, we've been talking about this before and you make the you make the list of the things that you you think, well, this would this would make a pretty good TV series or a movie or something like that. And I've got a few, but my list is very short. And at the moment, I'm in a place mentally and as a fan where I don't want to see Hollywood do any new adaptations of anything at all because here's what's going to happen. 
they'll throw a bunch of money at it. Probably. They'll inject a bunch of politics into it. Or they'll use some kind of fan baiting, rage baiting as their marketing. Well, you know, they're not going to like the casting on this because they're a bunch of racist, or they won't be faithful to the source material enough that whenever anybody criticizes them for not being faithful to the source material, they can call them names. Or nobody's going to watch it, and then we won't get a... Even, even if it's completely faithful and great and wonderful and it'll only get a first season so well, i'm just that's like a, that's a realistic I, concern for sandman because netflix makes their decisions the way they make their decisions yeah and you know just because it was had a really successful run <clears throat> lots of praise doesn't mean there's going to be a, a season two no and and you know you look at something like the expanse which barely survived long enough to get a, at some some kind of a conclusion but it didn't stay where it started well i mean you can yeah that's very true and unfortunately i mean they what i will say about the end of the expanse and and I'm, i would love more expanse episodes it's one of my i think one of the finest science fiction shows ever made um but it's there's a time jump there's a 30-year time jump where yeah. they they ended it right before the time jump and so I mean, if you're going to end a series that nobody really wants to end, no, no fan wants to, it to end, you might as well end it where the, the ha well, it's not the halfway point, but, you know, I mean, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, I, I the, the thing is, is that adaptations are always hit and miss, and, and whether it's how they tell the story or in, in terms of injecting anything into it or just getting the adaptation wrong um you know we've we've seen we've seen that happen god so many times i mean and then and then you hear periodically that's like we're gonna make a more faithful adaptation than the, than the monstrosity that was there before yeah and you know i still haven't seen leader extraordinary gentleman uh turn into a tv series yet well, um, I think I think the worst the worst words that anybody can use for any any of this stuff is uh, ad, ad, adapted for the modern era, and and you know right off the bat that it's going to be not not faithful to whatever it is it that you're doing. I think we've seen you've certainly seen, and because it, I'm, there are ways to do that because they've done it with Shakespeare for decades longer um, it's a matter of figuring out what that story meant then and how it mean what it means now and where those things are the same and if you change and, and people can disagree with this but I think that if you change things beyond the point, I mean, all the, some of this stuff is, is elastic to a point, right? Because we, how we, how we deal with the world changes as individually and culturally and all that stuff. So there's a little bit of elasticity to this, but there's a point where it, it stretched too far and it's going to snap. And yeah. you have to see, where that realistically is. It's one of the things I liked about the Sandman series is that for a series that was written in the 80s, it's not set in the 80s. And the adaptation points to the modern era don't change what they meant then in a significant way so that you're sitting there going, well, that's not... That's not what the impact of that scene was, or the impact of that story was. Yeah. It the, the words might change, the setting might change, but the goal was if if that issue of the comic was saying this, then the modern version should still say that. It might do it differently, but it's gotta hit those same points. It's gotta hit that same feeling. And I would agree with you that thematically 
any kind of points to be made or subtextual message or anything like that, if it's in there to begin with, and you want to bring it into whatever adaptation that you're doing, context still matters. And sure. a lot of times we'll get these adaptations that changes the context of whatever that scene is in order to do some kind of modern sensibility thing where, you know, it's going to offend 60% of the people. Well, and to some degree, that's just going to happen. I mean, it's just is. It's going to happen. That, it's except, happened that except, way with every piece of literature that's been except adapted. It shouldn't. You adapt something, do, you, you're faithful to the material, then just give us the material. You don't have to change it for the uh, modern uh, era. Whatever, whatever it is. No, you don't. Sure you do. No, I, you I, don't. I, I another Shakespeare reference. Shakespeare's I, well, Shakespeare is one of those where it's one of those it's 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 themes more than anything else. I mean you could set it in uh, you could set it but look, the the what was it the one with DiCaprio in the modern the modern Romeo Juliet, right? Yeah, I hated it. Exactly. Because you know, I, you know why I hated it? I didn't hate it because of how they what the story what they did to the story. I hated it because of the way it was shot. I hated it because of the way it was edited. Yeah. I have never had a problem with hyperactive editing on the level I had with that film. <laughs> I've watched that film more than once. Yeah. I sat down and watched it on video at home and I where I could sit there and pause it and walk away because the edit on that film is I find extremely unpleasant. Mm. Now, I also think there's incredibly stupid things in there because my sword is a gun now. Right. And I don't have a problem with that. I had a problem with the fact that it was the manufacturer. And I'm like, Baz. <laughs> Baz, you're an incredibly talented filmmaker. You make these big, lush, gorgeous movies. That's stupid. And and so I was that you know that kind of stuff annoyed me. But you look at something like Titus Andronicus, Shakespeare's bloodbath. I mean, it is. Yeah. And then when the movie was made, people were livid about the levels of violence and the level of gore in that movie and the just the the horrible way people were treated. It's like, guys, it's on the page. And the thing is, is that it is that kind of movie. Where it is, it, it's, it, it's the entire goal of that film. Well, no, it's not the only goal. Um, but one of the goals of that film is to sit there and show you the bloodbath of what this story is. Yeah. And for modern audiences, even modern audiences that are, you know, when this came out, we'd already had horror slasher movies. We were familiar with blood on the screen. Um, so, I mean, this, this stuff does get changed. Stories evolve. Whether or not we like it when they evolve, well, that's another story because you don't, and people don't. And um, I think one of the things that, you know, you and I talked about back when Men of Steel came out mm -hmm. um, is, and, and this was a discussion a million years ago, we were sitting in a place uh, called Frickin' Frack here in Kansas City, yeah. which is a sandwich taco restaurant bar thing um and they got pool tables and just hanging out and we had both just watched the film and uh, i believe we mentioned this before jason was not a fan still not and i wasn't a big fan but i was like well they were doing this interesting thing and and i was looking at it from how they were trying to update that story how some of the characters behaved right. and to some degree um i was letting my analytical mind kind of just get in the way of my this is interesting but <laughs> mind right because i was like yes this is what would happen if two superpowered individuals were to fight in a city you'd annihilate the city okay well that's great um but you guys realize how depressing this is, right? Uh, but, I mean, you know, so you're, you're going to get that kind of thing with updates and things like that. But um, there is still a lot of interesting 
stuff out there that could be adapted. And if in the right hands, and this is always the qualifier, right? right. In the right hands. Yeah. I mean, that's, you, know, you you don't want it to be in the wrong hands. I, I would rather not have an adaptation if it's going to be in the wrong hands, period. You know, um, that just, that, that hopefully goes without saying that I would rather have nothing than the wrong person doing it um, and not getting the point. And I think some of this come, uh, brought up la last week when we're talking about on Stranger Tides. Um, I brought I brought examples. I brought some things. Um, and I mentioned, um, and, I, and I don't have it in the stack, uh, Tim Powers. You know, here's an example of a, of a really rich, fantastic historical fiction magic, you know, novel that gets turned into a Pirates of the Caribbean movie and all the interesting stuff is sucked out. Yeah. All the parts that actually make the book really, really amazing. But he's got a ton of other books. Um, he said a book called The Stress of Her Regard, which would be A24. Dear A24, here is your historical horror movie where the entities that are the basis for the legend of vampires and mermaids and sirens um, and all of these kind of, you know, uh, um, attractive mythological creatures who will kind of offer you something in exchange for something. All right. Um, all have a basis in a very, very twisted reality. And the poor man who wakes up after he gets married and discovers that one of them has take a, taken a liking to him and murdered his wife while he slept. Uh, and then he has to go on a run on the run. But in, as he ends up encountering Lord Byron, Percy Shelley, John Keats, mm -hmm. Mary Shelley, and discovers that some of the most talented people of this era have their own interactions with these creatures. And it's just, I mean, it's its really, it was, that was the second book of his I ever read. And I was just like, anytime a Tim Powers book comes out, I'm buying it because they're just so good. He's got one called Declare, which I think would make an excellent miniseries. Six episodes, maybe. Maybe six. Let's not go to eight on this one. But it's a World War II uh, and post-World War II um, ends up being a Cold War thriller um, where Kim Philby, of course, the great, you know, uh, turncoat there. Yeah. Um, uh, turns out to have been a magic user, and there's this there's this magic war that's fought behind the scenes between the East and the West. And again, I, like I mentioned the last time I talked about powers, he takes real historical events and he weaves the magic in between the spaces in between. So all the historical accuracy, all the historical things that are about Kim Philby and his family, are completely 100% accurate. Yeah, it's the spaces in between. Um, and you know, there's there's creatures that live on a mountain that we used to call the jinn, but that's not really what they are. It's there's all this like really rich mythology that he builds up that would make for these really really fascinating, um, uh, really solid kind of. Uh, I would say honestly, this is the kind of stuff that you'd produce as like a, as like a six episode run, both of them. Because I think that in two hours, you condense it all. Because we've talked about this before, too. Yeah. A lot of novels just don't fit into the two-hour framework. Uh, hour and a half, two-hour framework without losing a lot of what makes them interesting. Um, but in this era of people wanting to have, you know, series of this kind or that kind, uh, it's a lot more likely that you could get something like that. Yeah. Uh, I just... Yes, Nicholas Gates is great. I just, I just don't want to see anything anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just at the point where I was like, you know, it would be, ah. it would be really, really, really cool if somebody could get Dragon Riders of Pern right. 
or yes. or David Weber's Honor Harrington series. You know, I, I I sing the praises of that that series of books for you know a lot of a lot. And and I'm thinking there's not anybody that I would trust with it right now. Oh, the expense. I, I would the not. Expense, I would not the expense could do it. No, I I don't. I, w- I wouldn't trust anybody. I wouldn't trust anybody in modern Hollywood to adapt anything accurately anymore. Because that's well, where we are. Mind that a lot of these things are being done by things outside of modern Hollywood. Like what? I mean, what's been what's like been adapted? All the to... streaming services are not modern Hollywood. Oh yeah, they are. They're their own thing. No, modern Hollywood and the streaming. The services... sensibilities are the same. It's the same kind of people. I, I, we had a story on. We had a story on Saturday. That... Oh, they're all there to make money. There's no, no question. No, but it's it's the same people over and over and over and over again. I mean, you've got uh, 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 what's her name, uh, uh, Mariko Tamaki, who shows up in in doing something that's being adapted by. Oh, I don't even remember who it was, but it was like I've I've seen all of these names and all of these people. It's it's like a it's like a revolving door. You get that same half dozen twenty people that are doing everything, and you see these names attached to everything, and it's all coming out garbage. I was like, I don't want to see any of it. Well, considering I've seen quite a things I don't consider garbage, I'm going to disagree with you. No, that's fine. I mean, everybody's title be wrong every now and again. Yeah, and you are, but that's okay. Yeah, well, you know, I, I let you have your illusions every now and again. That's right. All right. Well, if Jason's not going to play along, I will. Uh, well, I I gave my I, I gave examples. I gave my two that I would like to see if there was somebody who could handle it, but I don't trust anybody to handle it. So there you go. All right. So if you're a young adult fantasy person, however you feel about J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter stuff was very very successful, and it had a ton of people who loved the thing. Quite frankly. Um, the older I get, the less impressed with the books I am. I think they're fine. I think, and if you enjoyed the Harry Potter books, great. But um, they are okay. The best thing, the one of the best things that came out of the Harry Potter books is uh, Alan Rickman got to get paid on, on the regular, and we got to meet a bunch of young actors who are going to be pretty good adult actors. So yeah, there's a win. Um, but there's a, uh, I want to say New Zealand author or New Zealand or Australian author named Garth Nix. And he wrote a series of fantasy novels called, um, the first one was called Sabriel. Um, and I think there are now five or six books in the series. And I think it's done. Uh, it's the Abhorson series. And it is, um, the, you've got the characters are teenagers. Uh, and they are, um, so you've got your, your, something that if you're an older person, you're going to watch it with your kids. Um, but they're, they're not, they don't talk down to the audience. They're, uh, even if you're a younger reader, they don't talk down to you. Um, but the premise is, is it's a, it's a world that is a lot like in the early 1900s, um, but imagine, if you will, uh, the island of Great Britain, um, where the South is what you know our our 1900s, early 1900s. But the North, the Scottish areas, um, it's all magic, mm. and um, the clash, unintentional clash, uh, between these two, which have existed beside each other for very a very long time without any real conflict but something triggers it and these the children of some of um the most powerful magic users have to deal with it and it is clever often very dark you know if you get into um well i mean you and i saw the what how old were we when the last unicorn came out i mean mm-hmm. you know it yeah. was fairly dark um and how many how many children were traumatized by never-ending story um <laughs> but i mean so yeah. you know some of these stories for kids go into dark places and i think that that some of that comes out of trusting the kids to to let them be a little scared sometimes yeah and i think these books are really solid for that if you've not read them garth nix i'd say pick up his stuff he's very good um if you're a fan of your weirder 
genre stuff to get into your um the world is not what you it seems let's get creepy yeah um this is an author that i think a lot of people just don't know he's a guy named jonathan carroll i've heard the name and his stuff is very strange yeah and i say that in a i'm always fascinated and his stuff would just make really really trippy miniseries stuff and i mean the kind of thing you could do is an anthology because some of his stories connect some of his stories are wildly different um and there's a for for grown-ups and they're not very long so i mean you could do you know an episode with some of this stuff and or two or three episodes out of something um for grown-ups there's a level of kind of melancholy to some of these books mm. that is if it, it once you get to a certain age you it, it, i don't know it could just be me it's it speaks to you in a way <laughs> i mean the the older characters carry around some some stuff that you're like yeah okay I, I i know that i know that you know if i didn't live that i know somebody who has yeah right so there's really solid and i think um, the but, older the older we get the more we're going to encounter that sure sure yeah. but it's interesting to see an author who actually actually goes there sometimes yeah. um and some of his stuff is darkly funny and some of it is just really really unnerving um because it's often a case of you know there's in in genre fiction especially in fantasy there's long been the the world is not as you believe there's there's a hidden world beneath and most of the time it's a rollicking adventure and his is like no no that would be terrifying and horrid yeah and and yet the threats are almost they're not, almost always not world shattering they're much smaller which makes it all the more disturbing it's like oh yeah that feels a lot more real Ooh, stop <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. good creepy stuff and he's one of those authors who's 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 gotten a lot more response and pro higher profile um in the in the you know in europe um he, he lives there now but he's an american author and he started his career here <clears throat> um and he just sort of flies under the radar for a lot of folks yeah um but he's well, one of those authors it's not a franchise you know he's not it's he's not writing star wars he's not writing marvel stuff you know. Well, and you'll notice that I'm starting off with books here yeah. because these are things that are that are stories that are um, not written for the screen, but have the depth and richness in this era of we're going to make a season. We're going to make a season of a thing. Yeah. Right. See, and if you could. That's the other thing, too, is, you know, you've got these books that have been established. They've been published. They've been out there for a very long time. And I could see doing adaptations of those things with which people are familiar, as opposed to nowadays where, hey, this book is coming out in June and it's already got an adaptation deal done. And we the book hadn't even come out yet. And it's going to be an Apple TV series next year. I'm like, give it time to breathe you gotta you gotta give it time to find an audience to see if anybody would even be interested in this well and I, I i'm not i don't necessarily disagree but i'm also not sure that i completely agree because i think in some cases you're very right and i think in other cases it depends on the book because some books and you and i have seen this for better and for worse yeah some books are written like they are they want to be a movie. Well, and you have a lot of people, and especially in the comic books, uh, that are writing these stories as Netflix pitches instead of doing something that is in the format. You're writing a comic book, write a comic book, and, and, and focus on telling me a comic book story. Don't, don't worry about if Netflix is going to pick it up or not. Give me a comic book story. Focus on that. That's your job. Yeah, I mean, and, and the 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 few comics that I have on I was going to mention are ones that I think they do exactly that. Some of them are older. Mm -hmm. Some of them are some of them are newer. Um, but um, I 
I'm really Dan Simmons to... Hyperion. Yeah. All right, guys. If you've ever if you've ever suffered through the Canterbury Tales, <laughs> and you wondered what would happen if somebody wrote a science fiction of the Canterbury version of the Canterbury Tales, yeah, and you sat there and went, "What a terrible idea this would be." This is where you're wrong. Um. So Dan Simmons actually got uh, his his novel, The Terror, was adapted by A and E for a, a season long miniseries. And I thought it was a very good adaptation of a good book by Sim, not by any stretch of imagination, his best books. No. The Hyperion series, and there's four books total. Um, yeah, so, so there's another one, Robert McCammon. I was, he's on my list uh, because he's, he's, the, he's the bloodier version of Stephen King in the 80s and the early 90s. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, his swan song um, is um, Picture the Stand Only Worse. Mm. And considering how well we, how, how, the, how we've gotten adaptations of The Stand, I'd be very concerned about someone making swan song. But I want to see uh, Dan, uh, McCameron's Boy's Life made into a film. Um, I, I could, you could do it as a film because it's a think a Spielbergian kind of coming of age story, right? Only much darker. And it's frankly, it's my favorite uh, McCameron book, and I think it's it's been dying to be made by somebody who. Whoever the next Spielberg is going to be. Because I don't think Spielberg would make it. And Not I don't now. think I'd want Spielberg to make it because there's there's that that bit of even even at even when at, at his height. There's yeah. always that sort of of almost sweetness there. Well, and you can't ha you, you can have you can have warmth and love if you're adapting boy's life. But the think... sweetness can't really be there. I think Poltergeist Spielberg would probably mm. be a little bit Maybe. better of a fit than Schindler's List Spielberg. And I love Schindler's List and I love Poltergeist. I love I, I, Spielberg, but his, Spielberg his overall. Yeah, but his sensibility as a filmmaker and a director really shifted at that point. And, he, sure. you know, sure. it was like like when they came up with Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, He's like, I had to go back and look at what I did before to try to do it again because I haven't done it like that in 15, 20 years. And, that, and, that's, and that's fine. I mean, there's, you know, filmmakers change as they, as they do things as well. And mm -hmm. there's parts of their careers that I like better than others. But it's the kind of story that you, you need to have almost that it's an angry Spielberg. I don't know if that's not right. Um, a, 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 an injured Spielberg. That's where a little more pain. There's a little more pain to it. But anyway, um, or Brian yeah, De Palma, huh? Brian De Palma, maybe. De Palma. The problem with De Palma is, and, and and I quite like a lot of De Palma, um, is that there's always that little part in the back of De Palma's movie where it's like, I'm secretly making an exploitation flick. <laughs> The, that's not that's the, not bad. It's that it makes some of his films really, really work. But this is not that. I again it's it's a tough thing. Um honestly, the guys who made it, yeah. Um, potentially. Potentially. But I don't think they'd make it because it would it would feel too much like it part one without the clamp. Hmm. I guess. Right? Yeah. Um but anyway, Dan Simmons, um, this is big sweeping space opera, right? You've got right. Uh, an interstellar war brewing. You've got AIs. You've got politics. You've got uh, um, a monster that's murdering people without any way for them anyone to stop them and on a random basis. And you've got this pilgrimage to visit this murder monster because apparently the the story goes, if you go, what the one survivor of the pilgrimage will be able to get something they want. From this from this creature they call the Shrike, hmm. and it's giant and epic and very very intimate. Um, the Wizard of Oz plays into this story. 
the Canterbury Tales is the structure, um, faith, uh, religion, um, and I, I, I mentioned those two things as different things, uh, because there are characters in the book where their faith really matters, and religion plays a part, but the religion is part of the story. There's a, there's a priest who's a character, and his faith is more important to his story than his religion is. Right. Right. Um, and and it 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 but it but it impacts the story. There's a there's a um, um, a Jewish scholar named Saul whose daughter is aging backwards. She was exposed to these things called the time tomb. She's aging backwards, and she is less than a year old, and he is desperately afraid she's going to disappear. Yeah. And so he's on this quest, knowing full well that he'll probably die, um, and trying to find this answer. And so I mean, this is this incredible, rich stuff here. And it is, I mean, if you want a big, sweeping, epic sci-fi franchise, Hollywood. <laughs> But, there, but here's the thing. Um, it would make a, a... This is another one that I'd almost rather see it be a series. Like three seasons. Yeah. Four seasons. Um, so you could get into those characters and dive in and really deal because you've got, you've got a soldier who is the best soldier humanity has ever made. Um, and his his ultimate battle, you've got... I mean, you've got all these great characters who are thrown together and have to deal with this story. It's really rich. The problem, the problem with that, it's the problem that I've got with Andor. Andor is not bad. It's it's better than I expected it to be. It's it's much better than Obi Wan Kenobi ever could hope to be. But the thing, the 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 challenge that I have watching Andor is that not much happens. Mm. And it it plods along, and if if you're going to take the time with all of these characters and they have all of this rich history, like, you, you know, the depth and the dimension, you still got to have stuff happen. Oh, there's no question this very much, yeah. No, because, you know, it... Uh, and you know, and I was talking about this the other day. Well, well, I guess on on this morning's uh, bunker, you know, Tolkien can get a little wordy when describing his worlds and world building and all of that. But at the same time, he's describing his worlds. There are things happening within those worlds. There's there's things happening while he's describing the ends. You know, right? Sure. And some people. Nowadays, I don't think really quite get that when you're doing the world building, you have to do the world building while you've got something going on. I mean, the Andor thing, there was kind of some stuff going on, but it was really slow. And well, yeah, like, it's hard, okay. that's hard to do. I mean, it can be it can be very hard to do for folks. And no, I mean, in this particular case, you have everyone's story that they're telling, where you get all their backstory is in the process of them telling how they got to this pilgrimage. Yeah, right. Um, and so you're, you're getting the, you know, so how did you, why are you here? No. Well. And we'd, and, get, course, and we'd get 12 episodes of flashbacks before we ever get to what the real story is. Well, no, because all of these stories are building the world that you're in. Because right. they flesh saying, out, but I'm saying that if somebody, somebody modern Hollywood would get it wrong, and it would all be well, flashbacks in the middle of all of this, where they're all sitting around talking and nothing will, happens. Yeah, I will tell you that um, this would be an example of if you outline the script with the book as the outline, recognizing you're going to change things. That's mm -hmm. just the way of adaptation. Yeah. This is how stuff works. Um, your pacing would be pretty close to where you need to be because you and i both know pacing for tv and film we've done this yeah. stuff before um and and some books are just not like that i mean they're just not paced for that and they have to make that adjustment great book though it may be um uh, on the flip side you know what i've wanted for years hmm. i've wanted the callahan anthology show Yes. 
I will. Every episode is a new Callahan story, and then you can build a, and, and you, you think is you can story arc it because you can, yeah, you could do the, the whole sto- the cross time saloon as your first series, right? And the thing is, is that it would be a comedy. It's science fiction. It's family drama. It's um, uh, bad puns. Lots and lots of bad puns. <laughs> Especially in the one that Jeannie wrote. There's La- just so many Lady Slings the booze. I mean, uh, it was a shame we and, lost and, her. And it's great characters. Yeah. I mean, they're really, really interesting characters. And I think that it would be the kind of thing that, it, again, in the right hands, could be one of those shows where people are like, every episode would be just different enough to keep things interesting. But that core feeling of family and 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 yeah. comedy um and just the kind of fact that this week could be a fantasy episode essentially this week is a science fiction episode um and and you'd have that and then even then you could get if you, when you get into the novels if you spend a few seasons building up those characters you could actually do a season that was an adaptation of one of the novels because those right. characters are already there yeah you know who they are yeah um, so, I mean, this is, I mean, this is the kind of thing where, again, in the right hands, um, for years, I've been asking for a good Terry Pratchett adaptation. Um, I've been, you know, I think there have been a, some decent, decent, if not great movies that were made, um, yeah. the best of which is um, Hogfather. If you're a Pratchett fan, if you haven't seen Hogfather, I think it's, it's really solid. And then we had the Watch miniseries, which... I saw it was a thing. Yeah. I I appreciated what they tried to do and didn't like it all the same. I liked almost all the actors in it. I liked all of their performances. It just mangles the story beyond recognition. And so, you know, what, you know, and that's, that's that weird thing that you can get into and you, you've seen this too. Is you can sit there and go, wow, this is a terrible adaptation. Everybody in it is trying so hard to make something good. Mm-hmm. And I wish they were in a better thing because they're all doing fine. There's, yeah. They're not, these aren't bad actors. These aren't bad actors giving, you know, good actors giving a bad performance. This is just the wrong script. See, I feel um, that way about She-Hulk because Tatiana Maslany is wasted in that show. I'm, I, you know, what I have my expectations for She-Hulk, where I expect to smile every now and again, and that's I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't have the, I don't hate the show. I know people do, and that's fine. I, I I'm I, in. I went three, three episodes. I also don't worry about it. Yeah, though, so. I went three episodes and I'm like, yeah, no, this is this is. I think it gets good. better as it goes, but I also think that quite if you didn't if you didn't like the first three episodes, you're probably not going to like the show. And that's fine. You don't have to. But she's such a talented performer. I mean, Tatiana Milzelani is a brilliant actress, but she's wasted in the show. Quite frankly, she's she's the... There's going to be very little that if I find out she's in it, I I will probably watch it, just because she's so good. Uh, But, you know, um, on the comic side of things... um, Again, you know, me being a horror fan, um, the fact that we actually got the Sandman makes me really want fingers crossed. And I know, I know it's the track record I'm doing. Alan Moore is just, <laughs> but guys, the um, the Swamp Thing run that Alan Moore did that revitalized the series, mm-hmm. right? Go back to the anatomy lesson. And if you've not read, if you're if you're a fan of Alan Moore, if you're a fan of, of Swamp Thing, if you're a DC Comics fan of the 80s, that kind of stuff, um, if you've not read The Anatomy Lesson, and the American Gothic that followed, the entire run that leads up to, interestingly enough, because it ties into the modern, uh, the modern big crisis thing they're doing over at DC right now, the, um, the great, it's the great darkness. And... Mm-hmm. Swamp Thing basically goes, John Constantine takes Swamp Thing on a tour of America. <laughs> the darker, twisted places of America. And yeah. it's just really rich. And it's the kind of thing that you could do episodically. 
because each issue would be an episode. Yeah. And if, again, in the right hand, now my temptation would be to say, Neil Gaiman knows Alan Moore. Neil Gaiman has worked on Alan Moore properties before. On the other hand, uh, Gaiman has, what, four series in development right now? He's going to be busy. I could be dead before he gets around to doing Swamp Thing. What about somebody like like a um, Stephen Moffat or Russell Davies or that that group? The the problem with Moffat for something like this is even when Moffat did Dracula, Moffat doesn't have that I have I have not seen Stephen Moffat demonstrate the facility for horror Mm. that you would really have to get in here and I don't know um Maybe Alex Garland, but why would he do? He doesn't need to do TV. Um, maybe, maybe Garland. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's its such an, <laughs> excuse me, it's almost designed, you know, because it's a ser- it's a comic series with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. Um, I mean, Swamp Thing was going on before, Swamp Thing went on with, beyond it. But that story, is, you could actually do as an as a encapsulated thing. Um, right. and sit there and say, we're going to do three seasons and we're out, right? Yeah. You know, which I think we've we've seen some of these creative teams who have sat there and said, this is how long the show is going to be. And in some cases, they've been able to commit, get commitments from the companies wherever they're showing the thing because they say it's three years or four years and we're done. Yeah. Um, and this would be the kind of thing, you know, because we, we had that Swamp Thing TV series that was yeah. just a reminder, folks. The folks over at Warner Brothers Television have not been screwing up only recently, <laughs> because we had a series that people were like, "This is really good," and then they promptly canceled it. Yeah, Emma uh, um, says you can never do Alan Moore Swamp Thing because it's too rooted in the times. If you didn't live in the '80s, it's going to be over your head. Oh no, I I, I honestly. Um, I honestly think that but see, this this raises the question, though, because, you know, like like we were talking about earlier, you know, adapted for the modern era. I mean, you go in. I mean, granted, we've got a we've got a president who's who's doing things the way Jimmy Carter did. So, you know, we could we could loop back around to a lot of the mess that we had back then. But I don't I you know, you also have, you know, the you know, the. The Cold War is done different now. The you know the yeah, geopolitical no, stuff is done. You know the all all of the different. Well, you know now that I think about it, because you know Russia is is a threat again. We've got COVID instead of AIDS. We've got well, you could you you could do just pretty much a straight thing, and I think I think uh, you'd still be okay. Swamp Thing was more about the the the. Especially the American Gothic run was, I I'm sure that there were references to the events of the time in the comic, but none of that is at the core of the story. Right. Um, and there was this. the The hardest part, I think, for that would not necessarily. It, it'd be fun for you, you and I, for example, because there's a lot of the lesser known DC magic characters who make mm-hmm. appearances, right? Um, and you know, you sit there and go, "Hey, oh, geez, they're dead. Never mind." Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but Zatanna makes an appearance. Yeah. Her father makes an appearance. Um, I mean, it's it's. I, I think you get away with with that. Not you. Would, you have to set it in the 80s although the 80s is hot right now of course um but at the same time it i think you could bring that into the modern time without having it impact the story because yeah. at its core it's about educating constantine educating swamp thing with what he feels he needs to know to save the world yeah and the messages in each of those issues 
you might change some of the details, but again, if you hit if you hit the core message, that's the lesson that something has to take away from it. I think that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see, like I said, I'd love to see Lee of Extraordinary Gentleman um, on, you know, some prestige as a prestige series, because then you could get dark, like this, like the series does. Right. And in that case, it'd be an example of, all right, you wouldn't give us League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So here's the first three seasons of Penny Dreadful. Here is your outline, guys. This is this yeah. is what this is the the tone you want to go for because the Penny Dreadful folks went. We can do that. Yeah. So I mean, it would be you know it's worth your you know that it's proved it can work. But they, you know the first three seasons, as much as I would love to see, as much as I wished for the success of the second series. Mm-hmm. The, it just didn't have life. it didn't have the energy and i think yeah. that and then and that's fair i mean that that honestly that first cast was just something else right and it's hard to recapture that kind of thing um i would like to see a transmetropolitan series by garth ennis uh, warren ellis sorry warren ellis um but it's never going to get made. No, it never will get made. No one will ever do a Transmetropolitan series. I think it would and, be and not because a and not because, insane thing to watch, but no one's going to make it. Yeah, well, and and depending on the time, you you'd have it would offend uh, everyone. It would be great. Well, you would have that after maybe another five or ten years, because right now. People would not make it because it was Warren Ellis and Warren Ellis's persona non grata because Warren Ellis was this, this terrible, terrible person and Warren Ellis. And well, Warren Ellis, Warren Ellis is currently working with the folks that were unhappy with him, and there's I, this whole thing that he, they're yeah, both it's not going to be enough. Mediation it's thing. it's and, not going to be enough. It's blood in the water, and they're and they're not going to let the, they're not going to let him the off the folks, hook for at least another five years. I think based on what I have seen from both sides they are seeming to have make progress so i'm going to hold out hope but no the problem with transmetropolitan is that it is a you're asking you'd be asking the audience at home to stick with you long enough mm-hmm. to understand what it's about yeah because it on on its first blush it's a ton of swearing. It's a ton of violence. It's a ton of sex. Well, not even a ton of sex. It's just a ton of naked people. Um, it's, it's, uh, and you wouldn't, I think your audience wouldn't, you'd either lose too much of your audience at the beginning because they'd be like, what is this thing? And by the time you got to the actual story, I think, I think you'd have turned off too many people would you be able to is that is that a story because i've never read it would that be something that can be rearranged structurally that you could put more oh, of the story at the can, beginning and you could condense some of the stuff at the beginning yeah. i think but the problem is is that once you strip away it's the all the all the extraneous stuff um it's the story of one unpleasant but honest journalist mm-hmm. who is fighting against the world that has passed him by. Of course, he's also an alcoholic, drug-addicted, sex-crazed lunatic, but he's yeah. honest. <laughs> um, and and the thing is, is that and and you have to. Again, and it's also again one of the reasons it would tick people off is, is the politics. It's and he he takes shots at everybody. Yeah. Um, but you have two different presidents that he ultimately is fighting against in this thing, and you have to build the second one off the first one. It's it's story relevant, right? And that would again, it's I, I'd love to see it. I think it would make a great series. No one will make this show. Right. 
HBO Max won't make it. Uh, Showtime won't make it. None of these folks are going to make it. It's too much. But I think it would be just so much fun to watch. Um, but again, it's, it, it's, it's too much. Um, you know, and that's, and sometimes some comics are like that. Yeah. Modern stuff, um, Somebody's Killing the Children would make a great series. Isn't that getting an adaptation? Um, I had heard that it was getting one. I have not heard anything else. No, I was thinking that it was um, in development. I, and I, I think it, I think it would make a great series because, um, you, it's got, however you feel about the idea of getting a Buffy remake mm. and people have opinions. Yes. Um, this is what you would do to sit there and go, we don't need a Buffy remake. Let's do this instead. Because this is, if you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you might like Someone's right. Killing the Children. But it's also not, you know, a ripoff. Um, and for those who are not familiar with it, the premise is, is that there are monsters out there in the world that only children can see. Once you're an adult, you can't see them anymore. Um, and, and their favorite food is children. And they've gotten less subtle recently. Mm. And there's an organization that their job is to fight the monsters. The problem is, is that they don't care about innocent bystanders. Their concern is to kill the monster. Right. So Collateral they're damage. not really good guys. Mm. And our main character in Someone Who's K Killing the Children is someone who sat there and went, I'd like to keep the human body can't count down. Um, and so she's not, a, they're not a fan of her, her organization isn't a fan of her either. Yeah. So it's, and the, it's, the artwork's really good, which is the challenge is that, of course, translating the visual texture, but the stories are really solid. So I'm, that's one I'd like to see. And again, episodic, uh, that's an example of the comic book structure working well for an episodic television show. Right. Well, speaking of Andor, we mm -hmm. are likely going to be talking about it tomorrow night on The Ranker Pit. It is uh, our weekly discussion about all things Star Wars, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Uh, so you can check that out and join us for that. And uh, we're going to wrap up tonight, mainly because i got to get up at 5.30 in the morning again, because job day, day job stuff. Uh, but if you have uh, if you have stories that you think would make for a good TV or movie adaptation, let us know. Leave a comment or send us an email, h2o at sci-fi-for-me.com. Uh, coming up on Fridays, live from the bunker, Roy Okupe will be my guest. We're going to be talking about uh, his unique studios out in Nigeria and the new uh, adaptation deals that he just got uh, that he just got put in place. And uh, we'll talk about some Afrofuturism and, and that sort of thing. And uh, so uh, join us for that Friday afternoon. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do on Wednesday yet. <laughs> so there's that. What, we'll, are we, uh, what, are, what, are, what are our plans for? Uh, uh, I'm not sure yet. I think we'll probably pre-record Friday night and we'll have uh, Good Morning Multiverse Saturday morning. Unless I decide we just take the weekend off because... The, the the week is getting crunched and I'm I'm worried and that we're gonna get crunched. sometimes that happens. I understand. Um and yeah. you know our our audience is, is gen generally uh they're pretty understanding, understanding so. yes. And so uh that gives me uh, a place where I can say yeah, we will post updates on our social media channels uh when we figure out what we're gonna be doing about Saturday. And uh, in the meantime, you can uh, look at any of the rest of the videos that we've got here. Feel free to share this with uh, your friends and neighbors. And again, if you've got uh, if you've got your thoughts on on things that would make for a good adaptation, let us know, and we oh, yeah. will follow up with that as well. And of course, we'll do this again. And I and I am aware of the of the crackling in the audio on Zoom. I've got a number of browser tabs open now to do some research and try to figure this out once and for all. We're we're slowly getting some of our the sta I got the static out. So, I'm making progress. 
You know, I'm, just, you know, I'm, I'm having to go through. I'm, I'm using a 30-year-old audio mixer board and, and new cables. And this is, we're, the static's gone. Now we got to get, get the crackling gone, and I think we'll have it. So we're getting there. All right. So, all right, that's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Thanks very much for being here. We will do this again next week. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 